Hey everybody, I'm sitting here with my new friends Kenyon Williams, Dr. Kenyon Williams and Larnell Lewis and we just got finished with the Moorhead State Day of Percussion so a few more minutes then we're off to our flight but they agreed to have a few minutes and chat with us so uh, Dr. Williams, how's it going? Ooh, it feels so formal. Feeling going well now that it's all over it uh, it went off very well. So well we are in great. the conference room. It's pretty formal. It's pretty serious. If only, <laughs> if only they could see our mic rig, yeah, they might uh, might give it away. But um, <laughs> the coffee cup propping makes it look spectacular. It's, it's amazing. It's high tech, yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, so you know, we finished the day. Congrats on a successful day. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. And what is what exactly is a day of percussion for our listeners who maybe don't know? What that entails, what should they expect to see at a day of percussion? Well, day of percussion is usually when a host puts together a lineup of great artists. Um, usually most hosts will uh, bring in folks from a wide variety of percussion disciplines, uh, marimba, marching, um, world, drum set, whatever it may be. And then uh, puts together an entire day of events, usually maybe features some concerts from local students as well, maybe their own students performing. And um, I've been very lucky to attend quite a few myself and get the idea from other folks that I've learned from and then uh, have the opportunity at my own university, Minnesota State Moorhead, to uh, be able to do my own over the last couple of years. I've done about six now, and, and I've learned something every time I've done it. Yeah, great, great. And how did you procure Mr. Lewis over here? Who is the drummer of the very well-known Snarky Puppy? Yeah. Congrats, congrats on all of this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's just a screaming success of a group. And I think all my students are fans. Nice. It's a monster. <laughs> monster player over here, monster group. Yeah. Uh, they, honestly, uh, total blind luck. Um, <laughs> I was, I was uh, looking for a, a, a drummer that was outside of the traditional, um, maybe the traditional straight-ahead jazz route, which a lot of uh, a lot of guest artists tend to for these events in my past have been. And I have some students who are very into Snarky Puppy that Larnell met, <laughs> and they, they're probably his number one fans right now. But uh, they. Uh, they were I, they were talking about this band. Of course, turned me on the band a few years ago, and and uh, I was just right in the middle of, of procuring funds for this event and thinking about dreaming about artists. When I thought, huh, how cool would it be to bring Larnell or one of these guys from Snarky to the band to to our day of percussion? So I um, got online, started googling, and uh, found Larnell's info. But I couldn't find his phone number anywhere. I had a hard time trying to track this guy down, and or his direct email. Finally, I, I even called. He's a Yamaha artist, so I called Yamaha, and they sent me some more information. Contact this person, this person, and eventually via email, and I maybe Facebook first, right? I think a Facebook message, uh, Larnell, and just said, "Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this event. Are you are you interested?" And got back to me pretty quick, and the ball got rolling from there. Great clinic. Loved oh, yeah. it. I loved your clinic. How long have you been doing these types of things, and how long have you been clinicking? Um, as a clinician, um, I guess it's been about seven or eight years for me now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I loved. Uh, I, I loved what you did. Play a backing track. Play all beats that fit. Modifying what you do on the snare. Modifying what you do on the bass drum. And you just took a nice. Uh, a nice polling of the audience like how do you feel this fits different mm -hmm. whereas if I do it this way how does that change the mood of the same backing track and I like that you didn't tell them what the right answer was although I really wanted to know I was like so wait which one <laughs> which one would you choose that's what I was to which was the best you know, I really wanted to know but it was really really cool because it was it was like simple simple stuff we could all understand and I, I'm just wondering you know seven years clinicking I know my clinics have, have really evolved and changed and uh, how is 
was there a path leading up to doing a clinic this way? Yeah, uh, the progression to towards doing um, compare and contrast with grooves inside of a, a track came from session work, yeah. um, came from dealing with other students and, and trying to basically bring more of an awareness to what you do and how it affects the music. And so when I started, um, my first clinic I did ever was the um, Cape Breton International Drum Festival, yeah. which was held up in Canada. And um, unfortunately, it's no longer. But what was great was it was the uh, year of the legend. So there was Don Famolero, um, Liberty DeVito was there, um, Uriel Jones, drummer from um, the Funk Brothers out of Motown, and a whole bunch of others. And, um, you know, you do these clinics and you, do, you see how people receive information. And I was trying to figure out what could I say that was um, near and dear to my heart and was unique to me and what I experienced in my usual working scenarios. So um, as clinics go on, people ask about foot technique or stick control and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I really wanted to, you know, not only speak about technical things, but talk about the music and talk about what the music does and how you can change and manipulate the music regardless of where you are technically. I was, uh, my favorite part was when a student asked you about your gear and I think particularly snare drum. So what snare drum are you using? And you kind of picked it up and looked at it and you went like, oh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, metal, it's a metal drum. I like that. But I've always been kind of ashamed to not, that I'm not much of a gearhead. You know, like people ask like real specific, like, so your bearing edge, how do you like, I'm like man, I don't know. I just need like a thing that sounds good. And that, you know, so it felt really good to hear you, hear you say that. You know. Well, I think especially since students, so many students tend to, they come into college and, uh, or wherever they are, and they think that the magic ingredient is that new pair of sticks or mm. that new that yeah. new technical gizmo that'll let me play everything I see Larnell doing. And they don't realize the hundreds and hundreds of hours and thousands of hours that go into perfecting that one technique. It's not Absolutely. the head. Yeah. The, the head's to make it sound better. The mm -hmm. sticks can make it a little, a teeny bit easier if you have the right stick. But man, there's, <laughs> that's just a small percentage of the final product. Yeah, the yeah. sound's in the head and comes out of the hands, you know? Yeah, 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 it gets uninteresting very quickly, you know, you, you dive into gear for only so long, and then, yeah, what more can you can you say? Well, I thought last night one of my favorite parts, of we had a grand finale concert, and uh, we had another other guest artist was Shane Shanahan, who's a frame drum artist with Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble. Yeah. And uh, I... The duet was crazy. Yeah, I, I just wanted to yeah. put these guys in the front of the stage and say improvise and turn it loose, and y'all did. Y'all just brought it brought it to the front of the auditorium, and the audience loved it. And uh, but what was amazing was when Shane came down. He was playing a hand hand. Uh, he was playing a, a bowron with his on his lap, which is a fairly soft instrument. And I, and our first thought was when Shane came to me with this idea, I was like, well, how are you going to bounce out to Larnell? And then Larnell walks up to the front with just a snare drum. Um, at first, you played with just your hands, and then you moved on to a brush and uh, uh, using mallets and a broomstick, broomstick and, yeah. and everything. And it was just—it was all about the touch and the the heart. And it really wasn't about the uh, well. Let's see what kind of crazy sound I can get out of this prototype drum thing that none of the rest of your guys are ever going to get a touch. It wasn't that. It was all <laughs> he, about he pure musicianship. What, he didn't know what the drum was anyway. He didn't know the. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know. You know, snare drum. But it was just it was pure heart between two guys who were communicating, and uh, yeah. that was it. One of my students caught me after. He said, "Man, I just I could see those guys just looking at each other and totally following in the moment, and that was it was beautiful. They really appreciate well, thank that. Thank you. I loved it. You know, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy making music with people that listen, and Shane listens. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Well, it's really cool that what you did was it, it was um, it was flashy. It pleased everyone, including the you know Dr. Williams in the audience, um, the the young people in the audience, and the moms and dads in the audience. Yet it wasn't like twirling your sticks and uh, you know it was, <laughs> it, 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 you know what I mean. It wasn't uh, you didn't have to resort to any any stupid candy to please. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really cool when you find performances that. You know, it can please the doctors in the room. It can also please the moms and dads. And, it's just, well, yeah, really, and the middle school kids in the front row. Yeah. I mean, those, those are the guys that are paying to be there all day, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, Kenyon, tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, how many years you've been doing this and, and maybe what goes into organizing such a big deal. Sure, sure. Well, this is my sixth day of percussion. I do uh, one every two years. Um, I, as I said before, I learned it from uh, observing other people who I was able to be a part of studios like Jim Campbell University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, Ben Toth at the Hart School. And when I came here to Minnesota, um, a gentleman across the river, across the way from me, excuse me, named David Eiler teaches at, uh, Dr. David Eiler teaches at Concordia College. And he has a huge day of percussion every year. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what year this is going to be this year, but he does like maybe 23, 24. I think this year he's bringing Peter Erskine and Bob Becker. and nice. He brings in some, some fantastic talent every year. And so I watched him uh, and talked to him about my hosting my own, but making it on opposite, opposite semester. So we could have our, because our students are fairly, or close in geographical proximity. So they could kind of see a little bit of both. So I learned from him and uh, talked to him about some ideas. And then I kind of developed some of my own ideas. And um, one of the key things about a day of percussion is so much is based upon your school and where you're at. Um, Casey, you were saying, for example, in your location, it might be difficult because of access to venues or scheduling dates. My campus, there's only certain weeks, like weekends I could possibly do this. And it had, so you have to book these things a year in advance, oftentimes. The funding is another big part of the puzzle. That's probably the biggest part of the puzzle for most people. How do I support an event like this? And for that, there's a lot of possible answers I've discovered over the years. One of the first things I turn to is our state arts board. We have a, a Minnesota has an incredible state grant support system. So, and, but that usually requires me to start the process in February of the year prior, which is when I begin contacting you gentlemen to uh, see if y'all might be available and so I can go with that. And then once I know that you're on board and have an idea for fees and airfare and stuff, then I can go to them and say, this is what I need. And they usually support about 30 to 40% of the really? final packet comes from grants. And then after that, I turn to money that I've, from the university, there's guest artist funds available from different packets. And our percussion ensemble, honestly, my students are amazing in that we do a we do a big children's show every year that we bring up, bring up literally about 2,500 elementary kids to our school to perform for. Yeah. And we've been able to set this up where the, the organization does this, uh, we get paid an honorarium and we save up that money every two years. And that, that two years worth of work goes to pay for the next two years day of percussion. Mm. So my students really are the ones who pay the majority of y'all's fee because they, they do sweat, do sweat labor, you Absolutely, know. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so they're able to... And then they get so they get the, a lot out of it, which is one reason why I was so keen to bring someone like Larnell here because literally I'm trying looking at kids at people who the students are like man I'd love to see this guy yeah. come to campus and I've had a lot of students play many of your compositions Casey so when I said Casey they're like oh yeah you know yeah great so um but uh, that's that's a big part of it but it doesn't have to be just that I want to emphasize um, funding there you can do a day of percussion with a hundred bucks. Um, 
one of the things I've really learned is I, as a teacher, sometimes I think, oh, I got to bring in a Peter Erskine. I got to bring in a huge name. And in reality, most of my students have never looked beyond the bubble of where they grew up. So just the, the local drum set guy that they've never actually heard can be an awesome clinic. And you take that guy out to lunch and give him as, as much as you can possibly afford, and, and you're, you have a great day of percussion with him and maybe another local teacher. It doesn't have to be a huge event because you think, well, I've seen this guy do his thing, or I know he's not touring international. Well, you know what? Your students have something still to learn from that guy. And if, if, if you're, um, you can start small and build. It doesn't have to be uh, this massive event that, that uh, people freak out, oh, I'll never get 10 grand in my pocket to host a day of operation like that. Right. You don't need anything like that to get started. I'm, re I'm really glad you said you secure your artists before uh, making a, a proposition for funding. Because mm -hmm. I've always wondered, what's the order to do that in? Do you secure the funds and then go to your artists and say, hey, look, I have these funds, so you should come. But I, I guess the right order is the other way. Get your artists on board and then, and just make sure they're, they have the dates open and then go to your sources and say, hey, look, this is, this is who Larnell is, this is who Shane is, this is really good stuff, you should support this, it'll be successful. Is that yeah, right? Is you that gotta right? give them the whole packet at once. But the thing is too, you gotta, I, I, I make a pretty good budget before I do it, because there's some artists I have contacted in the past and said, I'd like you to come, and this is what I, and I, 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 when I contact everyone, I say, this is pretty much what I can afford. And um, some artists have just flat out said, no, I, that's, that's not gonna do it. And that's fine, that's perfectly fine. Um, but uh, so you have to have an idea in mind because I can't go to that great grant agency and that normally awards twenty five hundred, three thousand dollar grants and say I want seven thousand dollars for this day of percussion. <laughs> that's that's never going to fly, mm -hmm, right. you know. And uh, one thing, another side note, I want to mention: if you're interested in hosting a day of percussion, one of the biggest quandaries many new hosts have had is, um, well, what about the whole artist endorsement thing? Can I get Yamaha or Majestic or, or uh, a Remo to pay for these guys to come for free? And the answer to that is no. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they, they won't they won't pay for everything they, they may supply those provide door prizes they'll provide some, some artist support like majestic yesterday supported a, sent us a majestic snare drum for casey uh which is a beautiful instrument and that that helped to represent majestic gave casey a great instrument um and many of the artists many of the companies will provide a small honorarium for the artists but we're not talking it won't even be enough typically to cover their airfare much less any honorarium on top so what I do, um, and there's many ways to handle it. I know some people, when they do a day of percussion, they'll come to the guest artist and say, uh, uh, I'd like to offer you this much, assuming your endorsement companies can provide this chunk of the pie. And they kind of work it out that way. I, had, I got burned by that a few years ago, one of my first days of percussion. I, um, I told an artist, basically, I can do this, and I assumed his endorsement company would kick in the extra, you know, $1,000 or his couple of companies, and only one of them kicked up like 100 bucks, which meant I had to suddenly find $900 out of the blue, mm -hmm. and that was a panic button moment for me. So what I do is I come to all my artists now, and I say, this is what I can afford, and your, and your endorsements are on top of that. And for many artists, that's going to be the thing, be honest, the, the piddling honorarium I can offer is not worth the quality of the great guys I get, so the endorsement extra monies on top can be the thing that makes it feasible sure. for the artist or at least makes it attractive the artist but it definitely um, it, at least this way I know for sure how much I have promised and the artist knows for sure that if something falls through it's not my fault I, I, I've done everything I can do to get this much money now the rest is up to your endorsement company and if, if worse comes to worse you're at least going to get this much 
You know, and that's the key thing. You're, you're not going to show up and record and say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, Remo totally, totally messed you up, man. And I'm not, or any company like that. I mean, and I've never had a problem with Remo, so I shouldn't say that. But uh, you would, uh, but you would, you don't want to have to deliver that kind of news. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a terrible thing to suddenly have to come up with an extra grand uh, you know, a week or two before the clinics and things, you know. Yeah, nice to have that perspective. Yeah. I would say if you really want to plan one more thing, a couple of years ago I wrote an article in PAS percussive notes and if you're not a PS member you need to be yes. <laughs> put in that percussive art society do it. Log here. Do it, do it's it, an awesome it. organization but um, I wrote an article and if you if you remember you can go online and do a research and type in uh, you type in uh, Kenyon Williams guest artists and it's an article about the do's and don'ts of hiring a guest artist and cool. and that could include and it, it could include a day of percussion or just bringing in a guest artist for one event um, and so I wrote, because I, I had a lot of people catch me over the years and ask me, how did you do this? Where did you get the funds? And so I just wrote an article, and it's, it's back in 2012, I think, that was published. But uh, it answers a lot of these questions that we're kind of discussing right now, and a little bit more depth on some other questions you may have. So turn you on to that. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah. If I can just throw another note in, um, Dr. Williams, you mentioned about working with local artists mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's a great idea because um, often you have guest artists come in, you know, the students and people in the community are um, excited, and then that guest artist leaves, mm -hmm. right? If you do connect with local artists, that gives the local artists a chance to also connect with those students outside of the day of the day of percussion. Mm -hmm. um, adds to um, you know the students that they can have as well as private lesson students, or gives the students and, and those attending the event a chance in the community to check out those that are playing. You know. Absolutely. It just strengthens the, the community. Yeah, it probably makes a, a more long-term effect. Yeah. It stays right there in that yeah, area. I, th yeah. I think it's a, it's a nice lesson to teach them. Like, okay, this person you know about, uh, this drummer you really admire, and when they meet that person, it's like, oh, they're just a real person, and mm -hmm. they're really down-to-earth, and that's a real important lesson. But uh, also, I think a real important lesson is, oh, this person I haven't heard about, this person who's not in magazines and world-renowned known also is like super, super valuable and, mm -hmm. and maybe just as talented. And, and I think that's a key point. If you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering, well, I'm never going to host a day of percussion. I'm an artist. I'm not a, an educator who's planning on... You need to know the other side of the coin because um, the person who's doing the hiring is looking for certain skill sets. And, um, and sometimes the skill set I'm looking for is I just want a ridiculous performer but that's rare. What I really look for is I want a great performer who's a great personality, connects well with students, an educator who's an, a great performer who's also a great educator. And as you can, as everybody knows, that can be a hard mix. If you go to, if you go to PASIC very often, you often see a lot of guys that are amazing on stage that the minute they, they start talking, you're, you're ready to leave the room five minutes later because they have nothing to say. It's all with their hands, which is great. You can learn a lot from their hands. But I've found that in this YouTube generation, the educational side, the, the ability to communicate a concept like Larnell did yesterday and, and Shane did getting the kids up on stage playing and you did Casey. Um, uh, Casey did a master class where my kids played for him, some of my kids played for him and he um, worked with them directly on the music. That educational component, that's not on YouTube. Right. Whereas I can Google any day, my, all my kids can Google Casey here playing White Knuckle Stroll and see virtuosic licks at two in the morning. And so I didn't really pay you to come and play White Knuckle Stroll for my kids. I paid for you to, to come on down here and play something, and then they can ask questions and relate to you. And that educational side is if you're, if you're a performer and you haven't worked on that ability to connect with kids in the audience, you're not going to get asked back. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little about your new CD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, me you mentioned it real <laughs> briefly yesterday. Yes. But, man, tell us about it because... 
Yeah. There's, um, some, there's some sales in this podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, this will be my first album that I'm putting out. And it's this collection of music that I've collected and written over the last 10 plus years, some 12 years ago. Great. Um, and I'm looking to get it out in 2017. Um, it's a combination of styles, anything from like straight ahead jazz to Afro-Caribbean, which is my background. I'm, my parents are from St. Kitts in the mm -hmm. Caribbean. Okay. And, um, you know, there's some funk on there, snarky puppy-esque tune, you know, <laughs> just really just pieces of my history in the last, um, you know, 10 or so years. And, and some of the music from the earlier years of writing for me came from, you know, coming home from school and I would, instead of having a journal and writing down, you know, dear diary, this is, you know, <laughs> I met so-and-so today. She was awesome. Like, I would just write music, yeah. you know. Um, if I had a horrible experience, I would write this rock tune in 5-4. I would write, <laughs> you know, this hip-hop thing. Or I'd is, write, that, like, is, that, <laughs> is that the tempo? Is that the uh, the key signature or the time signature of anger right there in 5-4? You know what? It, I, I always I, thought 7-8 was a little more aggressive. Than I true. Think. <laughs> you know? I think 5 is uh, historically the first like, heavy, heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, um, it, it's, it's some of that music for me that, that are milestones, you know, sonic milestones of, of, of my day going through high school mm -hmm. and living life and, and different experiences. And um, the titles have, you know, deep meaning because it's the first record and I want to say something. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also a chance for me to, to showcase my writing because a lot of people know me as a drummer. Mm. Do these two, do these tunes have words? Do you have a some singer? of them have some words. Have words. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I I only ask because um, you know Bob Dylan just won uh, a prize. Yeah, for his literature. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I guess last episode on the podcast we we talked about songs versus literature and uh, anyway I mean since the titles are yeah, yeah, have, yeah. have some serious meaning yeah, so absolutely. no pressure on now with that <laughs> you're against Bob Dylan now oh my goodness um, yeah no, some of them have words and, and some of them just have you know storylines and maybe one day down the line I'll, I'll kind of leave it uh, I'll put it all out there but it's also based on the title I hope people with the music can just kind of make their own interpretation and and connect to the music in a really interesting way because so much can be passed through music, you know, passed on mm -hmm. and, and communicated through music. Yeah, wonderful. What, what is the title of the CD? Or there is no yet. title okay. yet. Not yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. That's an interesting title. No title yet. No title <laughs> yet. You know, I was working with a few titles and I decided to just let it go and let the, the collection of music just speak to me. And yeah. Yeah. So once yeah. once I get in the the mixing studio and kind of hear all the songs just kind of come at me, a with that inspiration. Have yeah. you been doing it all in Toronto there? Or, or I have. Yeah, yeah. I have um, some crazy recording situations where anything from major studio to recording at home to getting even Sean Martin from Snarky Puppies on there. Mm. And I remember bringing my keyboard to this hotel when Toronto uh, Snarky was in Toronto. Brought my keyboard, brought my headphones, brought my computer, set it all up. He had a suite um, for his hotel and had like a kitchen counter, so I just set it up there. 
keyboard on the counter, you know, and I'm there at the computer with two headsets of headphones, and just he's going bananas, soloing and, and playing a whole bunch of crazy synth stuff on this track, on that yeah. Snarky-esque tune. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to stick with Snarky a little bit. I'm, I'm wondering, they're such a runaway success now, mm-hmm. and I feel like whether I head into a, a faculty member's office, they're listening to Snarky Puppy, wow. or whether a grad student mm-hmm. picks me up in a car, there's Snarky Puppy. It's mm-hmm. like really, mm-hmm. really popular. Do, do, do you remember, I guess I'm very curious about Snarky's beginnings and versus where it is now. Like, did you feel that tipping point or did you feel when it like, you know, I don't know, there was a, a, a moment where you're like, whoa, this is out of control. <laughs> yeah, really um, you know, the history of the band the Snarky Puppy has been around for about 13 or so years. And uh, from playing in, uh, you know, the, I think the first gig was playing in the basement of a pizza shop yeah. out in uh, Denton, Texas. You know, my band did that too, but <laughs> <laughs> all we got was pizza. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, they might have just received pizza as well. Um, you know, um, the, the core of the band coming out of University of North Texas. Mm-hmm. And really making um, making the most of the connections that they had out there, including with uh, Robert Spudsyright, mm-hmm. one of the the first drummers in the band, who actually um, actually no, he was I guess the second drummer in the band. He was originally a keyboard player in Snarky Puppy, which was pretty oh, yeah. awesome. Hmm. Yeah, wow. very very talented uh, musician, Spud. But um, you know, Snarky starting in university. You know, one of those bands just kind of coming together, you know, charts, making things happen. Yeah. Um, more of a fusion type history and then connecting with the funk and R&B and gospel scene in Texas <clears throat> start to morph the sound. So fast forward, I joined the band actually about like four years ago. And um, when they hit my sphere of awareness, um, they had a sound, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and they were pretty well established. I think the album that they had going was Tell Your Friends, which was the first DVD record that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what actually helped to tip yeah. things over, you know? Somebody had told Mike League said, or they told Michael League and told him, you know, your records, they're cool, but they're not as fun as the live shows. In fact, your in-studio records are boring. So what you need to do... <laughs> we, need, we need to see this. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or just record it live in front yeah. of an audience. Get that energy, because you guys, the way you play in front of an audience is electric. Yeah. And they decided, you know what, we're going to film it as well. To me, that's, that's the thing that's really, that really grabbed my attention. I think most of this generation, we have a generation that is really expecting to find live, really high-quality live performances on YouTube at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. And uh, when someone told me about it, of course, the first thing I popped on YouTube to see if I could find it or iTunes and stuff. And, but on YouTube, right away, there's this incredibly high quality video, obviously very professionally done. Yeah. And the audio is live. It's not like some just, you know, layered in track on top of a wannabe recording session. No, no. And it was just amazing. It's the first band I've seen that did it with this high quality of commitment to the final product that was going to go, obviously, designed to go viral. It was yes. designed to go viral, not just designed to be put on a little shelf somewhere to show the friends. And uh, I think that's the thing that really, really grabbed my attention at least. Yeah, and so the, as time went on, um, even that record, uh, We Like It Here, which was the first album that I did with them, mm-hmm. um, their success in Europe was what kind of started to, you know, ring in everyone's ears and tell them, you know, man, like, this can go, this can be something. 
and that was in 2013 so you know yeah so literally like 10 years of like pounding you know um and going at it and 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 creating a circuit either a small circuit that you would do maybe twice a year and then expand that a little more and then turn it into one large circuit and then like connect that over the pond and then two circuits one over the pond one you know uh, one in Asia, one in North America, then you got another circuit over in Europe, and just kind of building from the ground up, which is also the name of the label. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Cool, very cool. I remember the first time I heard y'all, I went over to a faculty hang at, at, at my last job, and our, our band director, David Ball, still a good friend of mine, um, I, I heard just even in the first couple of seconds, I said, what are we listening to? Did, did like Dream Theater make a jazz? <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> I'm like, I'm like really, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, showed me Snarky Puppy, and then it was videos. So. Yeah, just, yeah. just a compliment, Larno. Though I got to say, I mean, the band, the band is fantastic. It's wonderful. But uh, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine in town here the other day, and I told him I was bringing you. He goes, "Really? Your Snarky Puppy? He's a jazz jazz player." He goes, "I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest fan of their band. My students love them, but you know what? Every time I listen to the band, I go." Eh. Drummer's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah, it's very easy, I think, to yeah, to appreciate, you know, not your whoever's not playing your instrument in another group. And I, I was going to ask you, speaking of working with multiple drummers, does it ever? I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no, because you're clearly like laid back, super friendly. You want to collaborate with everybody. Does it ever get territorial? Like, or what is it like getting working with other drummers? You have to leave the ego at the door. Yeah, you have to, or else the music won't survive. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what it is. A lot of people cannot do that. You know, they can work with anybody, but you know, the person who does what they do. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, you know. From Sput to JT, Jason Thomas, okay. you know, we even have uh, Jameson Ross, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but Jameson okay. Ross um, put out his first record uh, last year, mm -hmm. and he is a drummer and a vocalist, amazing drummer, has worked with um, Christian McBride and a whole bunch of other artists, but he put his record out, first record, it was nominated for a Grammy. Oh my gosh. Which is amazing. Killer. It's good Absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so... <laughs> Um, you know, going to the Grammys this year, he was there with us as well, you know, which was cool for his own record. But um, I think what makes this work is that we all have unique voices and we respect each other's voices and opinions on the instrument because we've spent so much time developing it, you know. And Mike does a really good job of um, leaving room for us to express through that voice and not clamp it down. We know what the band needs, we know what the sound needs based on what Sput has laid out as the framework for drums, but um, we're all um, very creative musicians and we're able to figure out how to take the, the point of what needs to be done in the song and voice it in our own way. So yeah. it's nothing but respect and love for those guys. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, you guys, thanks so much for taking this time and thank uh, you telling us a yeah. few words. And uh, man, Kenyon, thanks so much for having us and congrats on the, oh, the great day. You. I'm so grateful you guys made time. These, these are you're some crazy busy artists. So 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 uh, blessed to have you guys take time out of your schedules, fly to Fargo, Moorhead, the major yeah. metropolis. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, and just play for some students around here. It was yeah. great. Well, Shane, I hope you're listening, and I'm sorry your flight was so early because it <laughs> would have been cool to have you at this at the table. 
All right, guys. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.